When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey everybody, welcome to part two. So you are listening to Open Mic with Michael Thiessen. This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those in the Canadian climate who stand. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, and hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. Make sure you jump over to christianweek.org and read some of the issues that we address on my podcast and some of the other guys address, but in print form, as well as some broader issues. Before Deanna and I get into our second uh, much anticipated episode, uh, let me remind you that with inflation at a 40-year high and economic stagflation on the horizon, um, the growing and uh, preserving your hard-earned capital is of utmost importance. And of course, we trust Rock, Rocklink Investment Partners to understand the investment challenges of today. Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high-quality businesses anchored in the time-tested principles of value investing, and they do not shy away from the essential businesses that do not meet World Economic Forum definitions of ESG. So we trust Rocklink. They're great partners. They're great friends. Connect with them at info at rocklink.com or visit them at www.rocklink.com. That's link with a C. So many of you have been sitting at home. You have not left your... Uh, your couch, you've not left your, uh, your desk, you've not left the area where you listen to podcasts because you have been waiting for part two uh, of Deanna's presentation on protecting pregnancy and breastfeeding. So Deanna, welcome back. Um, we took a bit of a break to get you into a studio and to get you down into, the, uh, into some uh, traveling arrangements and to allow me to cover the important topic of uh, what's going on in Israel, but we're back at it. So welcome on, and let's go ahead and start digging into your data right away. Yeah, so last we spoke, we were talking about how um, maternal vaccination is uh, on the rise. And, um, you know, we we work with a bunch of um, healthcare providers who deal with pregnant women, and they're saying that this is kind of uh, an extension of an ongoing um, movement to medicalize many of the aspects of pregnancy 
And we also talked about the fact that, um, you know, infant vaccine schedule is uh, getting uh, incredibly and <laughs> out of control is I think the word that I was going to think of, you know, upwards of or up to you could have up to, you know, 100 shots, um, you know, in pediatric vaccine shots. Uh, as you're, you know, in your infancy. Uh, and so now what they're doing is they're moving uh, into what I would call the sacred ground of pregnancy um, and beginning to vaccinate women there as well. And so here's the schedule that we looked at last time where they have, you know, it began with the, the flu shot, which again was not well tested in women and it wasn't, it didn't undergo randomized controlled trials. Uh, and then they just kind of began adopting it in, in pregnancy, uh, of course, one of the, the reasons why they thought that this was justified is they created this uh, thought that women's immune systems were somehow compromised because they were pregnant. Uh, and this is a myth that's continued on. It doesn't have a lot of solid data, but this is the basis by which they began to uh, you know, provide maternal vaccination to protect women who were at higher risk. Uh, it went on to extend to the tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis vaccine, the DTaP vaccine. And then, of course, as we know, the COVID-19 vaccine uh, was, uh, I think, women were considered to be um, of risk of high, high risk of severe COVID-19, and thus the COVID-19 vaccine was rolled out uh, as a priority in this particular group. Again, a uh, complete violation of the precautionary principle, which means that if something isn't extensively tested, uh, and proven to be safe, uh, then it shouldn't be used in pregnancy because um, the fetal development stages, as we discussed, there's so much going on and it, they're so intricate and they're so incredibly balanced uh, that any inter any interference with that, and we've learned our lessons with um, thalidomide and DES in the past, any, any interference, especially in the first trimester, can cause a, a lot of damage. And some of it can't, uh, is even hidden until later stages. Predispositions to cancer, for instance, with DES, um, infertility issues with DES, uh, thalidomide, children uh, being born with deformities, um, some uh, major and some minor. So again, uh, as we were all in lockdown and in the last two years, two more vaccines were initiated. The Pfizer GBS vaccine received approval in September 2022. Again, Pfizer being a leader in this area. Uh, and more recently, the RSV vaccine um, I have here was a, had an advisory panel of support, which basically means that it's now approved for use by the FDA again with very little data. There was a, a, a randomized controlled trial for that one that was that lasted about six months. But again, that's certainly not sufficient time to be able to see if this is affecting uh, the unborn and any type of long and assessing any type of long-term impact. So what we have is this trajectory, this movement towards increased comfort with, you know, we've moved from it's unethical to enroll women in a randomized controlled trial because of the damage that an experimental agent might have on a developing child. Two, let's just forget about the randomized controlled trials. We'll accept that those are unethical and then we'll just start using them anyways. So a complete violation of the precautionary principle and, and what was historically established medical ethics. And it seems as though they feel that vaccines, because they're always safe and effective, get a, a pass for, for women. You actually don't need to um, test them extensively because 
potentially, you know, they're always safe and effective. And I know that that's the stance they took with the COVID-19 vaccine. With the RSV vaccine, they did do a randomized controlled trial that didn't monitor, um, you know, effects on the fetus very carefully. So again, it's it comes back to those things where if you don't test something, uh, then you don't find anything, then you have greater comfort in declaring safety, which seems to be a little bit of a trend in the vaccine world in general, and specifically for sure with the COVID-19 vaccines. But I think that kind of brings us to one of the problems with the COVID-19 vaccine is it, it's actually not a vaccine. Uh, it's a gene therapy, which is a biologic that's being marketed as a vaccine. Um, so what they found was that when they delivered these mRNA products, um, which had a, a pathogen in it, your body developed an antibody response to it, which is normal anytime your body encounters any type of virus with uh, you know, foreign proteins, your body will develop an immune response and develop antibodies to it. So what they did is they thought, well, if we deliver it via lipid nanoparticles, um, then we can call it a vaccine, even though it's developing the very same pathogen that causes the sickness for COVID-19. So... Uh, in fact, because it del delivers genetic material, which is what mRNA is, which teaches your body to develop the spike protein, which is the part of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes sickness, um, what they found was that um, your body actually responds as if it's being infected, but not infected by a virus, infected by lipid nanoparticles containing the, the sickness causing part of the virus. And so in their infinite wisdom, they thought that this was a good idea to give to pregnant women. Um, and more recently, I've just added a quick note that uh, they've actually found that there's DNA contamination, there's plasma DNA in these vaccines, meaning that the mRNA wouldn't normally go into your genes, uh, but if they have plasma DNAs, those actually can integrate into your genes. So we don't really know what kind of genetic you know, modifications to your genome are occurring, how long lasting these are, what kind of effects they would have on a developing fetus. So if you, you know, introduce the ability to be able to develop a protein, a foreign protein, uh, and a child develops this ability to do that ongoing because it's been integrated into the DNA, then that's a reason for concern, especially if it causes sickness. So I'm not suggesting that the spike protein integrates into your DNA, although that is uh, a possibility and something that needs to be investigated further. But the very fact that we're playing around with genetic material and exposing unborn, um, you know, the unborn to this type of uh, material is, is unconscionable. Uh, and the results are completely unpredictable because we haven't tested it. And in fact, if you're if you're there's a you've got the vaccine approval committee for the FDA and then you've got the gene therapy approval committee um, and there are two separate uh, committees. One accepts very low levels of evidence on the vaccine side of things based on historical norms where vaccines are tested extensively before they get to market, whereas on the gene therapy side, because these um, products are so unpredictable and their outcomes they, you know, can be so undesirable and long-term, it's very difficult to discern and characterize their safety profile. So they tend to do you know, 15 years of safety testing before widespread use. And here what we did was we declared these vaccines to be safe and we rolled them out to the general population with very little study. I wouldn't call you know two months of study uh, sufficient for gene therapy whatsoever. Uh, and then you know we we identified um, 
pregnant women as high risk. And therefore, because they were high risk and not really at high risk, and the, the evidence for that was very low, uh, they pushed forward with giving the, these these gene therapies, which should take up to 15 years testing in, in normal people, average citizens before use. And here we are giving them to pregnant women. So it, it it's incredible to think that somebody thought that this was a good idea. Um, you know, clearly there's uh, deep pockets at play. People who who think that uh, you know the profits, um, you know, are are worth pursuing and breaking, you know, ethical mores and and good medical practice. Um, but anyways, here we are. So these vaccines, for anybody who's listening, are not vaccines in the a traditional sense. They're actually gene therapy being. And Deanna, the rest can is I all just marketing. respond to that? Yeah. So I think that there's a few points that you've brought up that are worth um, digging into a bit or, or dialoguing about. So first of all, when I, I think that, I think that you and other researchers have been saying this for quite a long time now, and the immediate knee jerk response is, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy. Uh, but what you are saying as a researcher is, um, like the, these are technical bot like there are bodies of oversight that oversee the development of, you just said there's there's one group for vaccines and there's another group for gene therapy because mm -hmm. this is so obviously a different um a different medicine a different treatment um can you maybe give our listeners an analogy of like okay a traditional vaccine they give you a dead form of the vaccine. You, your body responds to something that is outward coming inward or the natural path of a virus comes in through the, through the lungs or however you're, yeah, you're getting this and yeah. your body then responds to something coming from outer. In, in this case, these gene therapies, as you've mentioned, are designed for your body to produce it. Mm hmm. And so can you give us an analogy or, or like something that you would use to explain the difference between those two different reactions that, that they're on one hand, your body is responding to something from the outside. On another hand, your body is learning to produce mm -hmm. it. Have you thought yeah. of any analogies for that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That would have been a great idea. And I'm, I'm like totally drawing a blank right now. Um, but I, I can walk you through the major differences with a, you know, as you mentioned, with a virus, like a vaccine, you can have, um, you, basically, it, they, they injure the vaccine so that it can't produce, it's either dead or attenuated, meaning it's kind of damaged. And so, and it, and they just inject it into your shoulder. So it stays localized and then your body identifies, you know, the foreign proteins in a small sample of that particular um uh, virus, the attenuated or dead virus, and that develops antibodies. And then those are delivered to your immune system. And then you're, you, you have antibodies in your immune systems on the lookout. Now, you know, one, one minor problem with that is that your body will be looking, you, you know, your immune system, your immune response remembers where the point of entry was so that it might be slightly confused because the point of entry was your shoulder as opposed to your upper respiratory tract. In a normal, in a normal case of infection, the virus enters in your uh, upper respiratory tract, 
um, you know, that is a mucosal response. So you've got mucus in there. So there's, you know, it's an IgA mediated response in your upper respiratory tract. Uh, and it's primarily an innate immune response where your natural killer cells are the first to respond and neutralize the virus. Uh, and if you've had prior exposure, then you might have an, an, um, an antibody response uh, that complements that. But usually in most healthy people, your innate immune system is sufficient to be able to limit the spread of the virus so it stays in the upper airways and it doesn't go down to the lower airways. In cases where you have serious SARS-CoV-2 infections, you've got some sort of immune compromise of some degree, which allows it to get into the lower airways and, and move into the blood. And when it, the virus moves into the blood, then it can cause all sorts of secondary effects. And we've heard lots of the serious outcomes that can be things like clotting, um, you know, heart conditions where this this pathogen, the, the, the spike protein gets to circulate widely in your body, that's when you actually get sick. But most people are able to neutralize uh, that immune response in the upper airways and it never really gets to the lower airways. Whereas when they're delivering this mRNA therapy, what it does is it basically goes into your body and I have a slide here I might show you that is helpful and it distributes everywhere. So they inject it in the shoulder, then the lipid nanoparticle a carrier, which is actually something that I'm very familiar with because it's something that we use in uh, when we're delivering, when we want to enhance the outcomes of chemotherapy and we want the chemotherapy to be widely distributed through the body. Um, you basically would deliver the chemotherapy in this and it would go to every single part of the body and hunt down the cancer cells and basically kill them. Um, so we know that lipid nanoparticles are designed to distribute the product widely. So instead of saying in the, in the shoulder, when it's introduced, this spike protein goes into every single cell of your body. It's, it's just, it's designed to penetrate cell membranes. Uh, and then when it enters into the, the cell, it basically tells your body to produce, um, the mRNA enters in, it's synthetic mRNA, not normal mRNA. It enters into your cells and it starts to hijack your, your protein machinery called ribosomes and it helps it produce proteins uh, and it develops a spike protein. And these are designed to basically connect and express on the outside of your cells. So when your immune system all of a sudden is moving around your body and it sees that these cells now in this picture, you can see that it could be the eyes, it could be the brain, it could be the heart, it could be the adrenal glands, it can be the kidney, it could be the bladder, it could be almost any part of your body. Um, it begins to express the spike protein. And when something expresses a foreign antigen, then your body will respond and attack and eliminate that cell. So what you do is you basically cause your body to attack yourself. And the researchers who developed this technology were really excited because they're like, oh, look, antibodies are being produced, but they're antibodies that are being produced and then used to kill the actual tissues that have been penetrated by this mRNA uh, therapy through the lipid nanoparticle technology. So what you're doing is you're basically creating an autoimmune response in the sense that your own immune system will then now identify problems. Deanna, as a follow-up question, and this was this was earth-shattering for me, as um, you and I have talked about this in the past, and we've talked about it with uh, people like Dr. Stephen Pellick and um, uh, Dr. Byron, Byron Bridal and, and things like that. Just, just. Let, let me know or re-explain if I'm understanding this correctly. So when we naturally get a virus, 
there is, as you've just mentioned, there is a pathway and the elimination into the vital parts of the body is, is, is normal. And it's only in someone who gets very, very sick where you've seen it spread throughout the body, through the blood mm -hmm. here, not only is it spreading to every part of the body, but the body is attacking the parts of the body that have produced the spike proteins. And so that means if you have a healthy heart tissue that is now producing um, these uh, spike proteins, the body actually attacks that organ. Mm -hmm. And here's where I want you to maybe help me understand this because now we've connected this to cancer treatment. When the body attacks those cells, it attacks those cells and it is, this is the difference between the outside. Um, this is the outside antigen coming in and the body producing the spike protein is that the body is actually attacking cells that are destroyed of tissue. And this is what can cause damage to actual organs because you've attacked the organ and um, specifically where I'm trying to connect the cancer research is, is this why in cancer patients, if they're using this type of technology, they might be looking for scarring. We've talked about this in the, in the past, but I'm just trying to help people understand this. Like this is where we can see an organ be attacked by the body and actually do damage, permanent damage to the organ. Am I mm -hmm. understanding you correctly that you're saying yeah, that? Yeah, I think there's a two-part thing. So, you know, again, I think the most common expression of this is, is myocarditis and pericarditis, which is inflammation. Itis means inflammation in the heart. And so that's the, you know, what when pathologists have kind of looked at this, what they see is, you know, spike infiltrated heart tissue and then inflammation everywhere. So your immune system is attacking the spike protein, which is expressed in the heart tissue. So it's actually attacking the heart tissue and, and your heart tissue is incredibly vital for two reasons. One, because it um, is the thing that pumps blood through your body. And it's also um, something that um, has delicate signaling mechanisms that allows your, tells your hearts and they, and to when to contract and when not to contract. Um, and doing that in a coordinated fashion is very important for vital health and heart health. So whenever the spike protein infiltrates the heart muscle and your, your body begins to attack the heart muscle, then it basically causes scarring, which makes it so it can't contract and it can't signal properly. So that leads somebody's heart up, uh, open to, uh, or increases their risk of uh, heart failure or a, con a contractility um, um, a signaling issue. I'm just, the, the words are escaping me exactly right now, but basically cardiomyopathy means heart failure. So that's, that's the mechanism of action that underlies that, but that similar type of thing can be happening in any tissue that expresses that in your body. Now, if we were to consider the lipid nanoparticle technology that delivers things like doxorubicin, which is something that your son would have probably had, which is the thing that damages hearts, but that's damages it in a different way in that doxorubicin basically kills any cell that's, that's um, reproducing at a high rate. So if, you know, 
you know, hair, hair follicles re reproduce at a higher rate, your blood reproduces at a higher rate. So, you know, that is those type of chemotherapy toxicities that we're more familiar with or heart damage there would be because some of the heart tissues were developing or the cells were replicating at a high rate. That's a higher grade. So that's why the damage would cause that. So it's kind of different, but that the, the part that's the same is that the lipid nanoparticle technology is used to spread it, it does. And Deanna, what, I'm not trying to inf, inflate, uh, don't mind the pun. I'm the, the problem, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to answer is the typical thing. My, um, when, when we're talking about these things, the people who have been dismissing all of these concerns, I kind of, I kind of immediately have some of their similar thoughts. So one of their thoughts would be like, well, cells regenerate, don't they? So like, so, so what your, your body attacks, some of your own cells, like cells are created all the time. And so can you kind of, can you kind of explain how, um, this da is this damage no, number one, may maybe it's not always permanent. Maybe it's sometimes permanent may like, but how does that work? Do the, do, do the, do the vital organs of the, uh, do our vital organs just simply reproduce enough cells that this is not problematic or are, are we talking about the potential for permanent damage because our body has attacked itself? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that there are some, uh, tissues that, that replenish that, you know, if, if damage, they can just reproduce, you know, your mucosal lining is a perfect example of that. You know, you can cut somewhere inside of your mouth and within, you know, at the beginning of the day, by the end of the day, you can't even feel the cut anymore. It's completely gone. And so that would be, you know, those are, you know, when you're eating, those cells are sloughed off and, and replenished all the time. Uh, I think it would be different when you're thinking about other organs, like heart organs, where the tissues actually don't replenish. You get certain tissue, uh, the, those cells basically, once damaged, don't actually uh, become replenished. So that's that's a huge concern. And the fact that they tend to like to dismiss the the myocarditis and the pericarditis as something that is transient is probably because they've only measured it transiently. Like if you only if you've only measured something for a short time, then you can only make conclusive statements about it for a short time. But basically, what they should be saying is we're we're we don't know what the long term risk of this is, especially in young people. Whenever you've got um, scar tissue in the heart, for instance. Another one that I think we should all be a little bit worried about is the ovaries and, and, and um, you know, things related to fertility, because those are extremely sensitive to inflammation and inflammation in those areas can actually cause um, sterility long-term. So we know that as well. Again, you know, other areas might not be so important, but then, you know, ner nervous tissue, again, you know, all of those pathways have been established. And so you probably can reset neural pathways, but that might take a lot of time and effort, right? So I think what the 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 major point is, is that- So, uh, the so Deanna, while we're talking about this, then um, if this is, if this is injected into the mother of a preborn child, then the this delivery system allows for um th this delivery system allows for um getting all the way to the child in the womb 
Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. So the mother, the interface between the mother and the, and the unborn child is the placenta. And that's kind of one of those membranes in the body that basically keeps a lot of stuff out. And for good reason, because you want to create a safe environment for the developing child. Um, however, this lipid nanopole technology is able to, uh, pierce barriers like the, the, um, the barrier between the brain and the body, the blood brain barrier. And uh, although we're not, although it hasn't been tested as suspiciously so, we can probably assume safely that it can pierce the placental barrier too, because we've actually seen um, mRNA and, um, and- And just so you know, everybody, you, you can hear Deanna trying to take care not to say anything unfactual. This is where we used to be. This is where this is where we would say we we don't have science around that we actually have to go test which is the very irony of the discussion uh, mm -hmm. that pregnant women would not be injected with an experimental drug where you couldn't answer the question do the d does the technology allow the spike protein to get into the placenta through the placenta and into the preborn child. Uh, like, so, so Deanna, I appreciate your caution and I'm thankful that you're trying to give an assessment that is realistic. But if you are a woman who received this vaccine, you should be sitting there going, Oh no, I was injected with something that I don't even know if I passed it directly to my child and the types of injuries that we're talking about going to every part of the body, um, th these are all concerning uh, issues. And so the very fact that Deanna can't answer that question categorically, and, and number one, the answer, if, if, if there was evidence, then likely the vaccine is, uh, it sh should be shut down and never given to pregnant women again. And number two, if there is no, out, there is no evidence then why would you imagine in this day and age that this is safe for you and your unborn preborn child? So Deanna, I appreciate you taking the caution there. Again, I'm a layman trying to understand some of these things and I know that that would be a normal question. So if a pregnant yeah. woman is injected, this is designed to go throughout her whole body. And if she has a baby in her body and the interface is the placenta which nourishes and feeds the child are we do we know if children are being uh affected by this or uh, i I, yeah. I wouldn't even be able to come up with the exact word um but you're you're absolutely so thank right thank you for so... trying to answer that question <laughs> it's tricky so i mean I've never seen science like this before in my life. I mean, we take such care with cancer patients, honestly. You know, the first thing that you would do is you'd basically say, what's the mechanism of action, the biological mechanism of action? So the first thing that I looked at here is, okay, we're teaching the body to develop what? The spike protein, the toxic component of, of the virus, you know, and, and we know that pathogenesis, you know, the, the very severe outcomes happen when this, this spike protein circulates widely in the body and your main mechanism of action is to make it circulate widely in the body and express in the tissue so that your immune system attacks it. It's, it's a disaster of a mechanism of action. Uh, so it should get shut down just based on the, the very premise of how it works. It, this should have never moved forward in research. And if it had moved forward in research, then somebody with 
some thinking person would have said, okay, where is it going? How do we assess how much there is in different parts? How do we monitor the toxicity of this? What types of testing, subclinical testing, clinical testing, what do we need to look out for? Clearly this is going to be, you know, the safety profile that is incredibly complex and long lasting if you're talking about mRNA and uh, you know synthetic mRNA that doesn't necessarily degrade very quickly, producing spike protein in cells and immune system responses. There's so many factors at play. To, to appropriately characterize the safety profile of something like this would take years and years and years and years um, to the point where most researchers would say, this is ridiculous. This is just not an appropriate means of moving forward. And it, when you know coming to pregnancy, no. And so, know, everybody, just just as you're listening, everybody, and this is why the lay. This is why people like me. This is why lay people have been concerned because. Okay, I'm going to connect a dot here, and Deanna, I try not to go down the road too far when you and I are on because you're 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 keeping so close to the science. But this is why when people saw videos of a guy like Bill Gates getting up and saying we have to lower human carbon imprint into the world, and it's basic math: the more humans, the more human, the more carbon output, and so therefore. Uh, how do we control that and literally say things like um, we can uh, – we can – there was a percentage comment and going through things like reproductive um, reproductive rights, which was another label for abortion, and mentioning the word vaccines. And when you hear someone like Deanna carefully parsing things out and saying, well, hey, look, we don't th- – th- this delivery system can go into very sensitive tissues like heart, very sensitive tissues like reproductive organs, very sensitive tissues like potentially the placenta and, and, and preborn children. And then you see this pushed out on all of those demographics that would um, that would be affected by that. Like, of course, anybody's affected. Uh, perfectly healthy people can be affected, but all of the communities at risk, like the elderly, like um, young women who are susceptible to propaganda because the whole world is telling them to go out and get vaccinated. This is why, folks, people who were thinking early on took caution to say this potentially could harm the elderly. Uh, population control uh, made is uh, – made is uh, – is legal in Canada and people are passionate advocates of it. And how else do you reduce population growth? Oh, you, you affect people's fertility and you affect children that are born. The, now, now Deanna has not said any of that, but you need to understand this is why people have connected that dot and share that real concern is something very nefarious happening Um in the background here for the sake of climate change, which is the biggest news, uh, the, 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 the biggest political agenda, you know, uh, Prime Minister of Canada just said he's giving out electric heaters to half of Canada almost. There is a major push for climate action 
And part of climate action is dealing with human population. And so, so folks, th these little details that Deanne has been going through, that's why people have said, whoa, we should stop. This is potentially harmful to the elderly. It, it's potentially harmful to fertility and it is potentially harmful to preborn children. We got to stop. We got to be very, very careful. And this is where the church utterly failed to see at least the possibility of uh, of, of 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 evil behind the scenes, um, and so naively just accepted every medical statement. But uh, Deanna, I, I know that you've been careful to stay close to the science, and I always appreciate that about you. But it's these exact this. It's like this slide right here. Um, and again, I had a moment of this when I was interviewing Dr. Stephen Pellick. It's this slide right here where anybody who was listening was saying this could have – the background of this could be so dark. We should be taking caution. It, it all goes back, Deanna, to the two words that you just mentioned, individual versus collective medicine. A collectivist or someone who is practicing collective medicine looks up and looks wide and says here is a policy that i think that i think that i choose to subjugate many people under for the collective good now that collective good is described and is prescribed by that individual individual medicine looks at the individual and says this is what you need and I think if anybody is listening for the first time to Deanna and myself or multiple times, you need to take those two words and help people understand that. Because even what we were talking about before, whether we're talking about abuse of that or not, it is a fundamental shift in what's happening. And we're seeing, number one, collectivism be, um, be popular in society right now, bigger government uh, a bigger, uh, a bigger control, less individual responsibility, less individual freedom. We're seeing that in almost every category um, in, in, in society. And so we're also seeing that in medicine and people need to understand that fundamental shift, which then translates to, I have to do my own research. I have to think for myself. I have to be a health advocate because I am entering into a system whereby the, uh, the, the intern wants to please the doctor, the doctor wants to please the hospital, the hospital wants to please the, um, the, the chief medical health officer, the chief medical health officer wants to please the federal government, the federal government is happily in bed with big pharma for the sake of turning around to society and saying, we are producing a, a great healthcare system. Um, so folks, individual medicine is when a doctor looks at you and says, this is good for you because I have inspected you, I know you, and I know your needs, and here are the risks, your informed consent, all that type of stuff. Collective medicine looks at the, looks at the upper moving and the global move, movements and says, I arbitrarily choose for the masses. And that is a major shift. It's what we've been trying to help people understand. And I think we just gave another example, Deanna, about how that's 
happening. We are at 46 minutes and we are oh on the second word. slide. How's so, it, how do we do this? Let's keep going here. Uh, and this Deanna, can something. you comment on that? Can you comment on that again? So this was one of those areas where anecdotally, because of our church's stance, because of um, Liberty Coalition Canada's open stance, we had so many anecdotal stories of women talking about this. It was everywhere. I'm, you know, I would say not limited to, you know, 20, 25 stories within our own like region, like the greater Barrie area. Like, and when I'm saying 25 stories, like people who were note taking down and noting all of the 25 individuals taking down and noting all of the stories that they were hearing from individuals like this seemed, but were these things actually reported in Ontario? Like, is anybody actually going to look at this stuff or did it just all get discarded as you're, you're hypersensitive, you're ridiculous. Cause we heard so much about this. This is. And it was infuriating. It continues to be infuriating, but nobody watches that they're harmful because they've been mandated not to speak against the very thing that you've deemed safe. Like this right. is the, this is the thing. The doc doctors in Ontario and in Canada are being silenced when they did observe these things. They were, you know, you know, as well as I do on the college of surgeons and physicians, you could not speak out against any health, any of these health mandates, including the the promotion of the vaccine. So, back, mm -hmm. Deanna, is there is there any tracking of this at all, or have we lost all this data? Yeah, I'm 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 more hoping that somebody is tracking with this now, and all of these stories, all of these all of these women are not silently embarrassed and not talking about this, and. Because of course we're we're still waiting for long term results, and this what this slide that you have in front of us would show very specifically cause and effect, and that needs to be studied so that that is a declared statement that these vaccines cause this, and the effect is this cause this con this uh, this uh, um, frustration in the in the ovaries and the effect is this it's 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 criminal that these things are not observed and i i, I just I, I know you've published two articles here in front of us and i'm so glad to read headlines but this was you could not get people to talk about this even though it was happening so regularly anecdotally you're as you say there our, our, i think what you're saying our, our our shared <laughs> our, our actually lived experience yeah, carefully dismantled is uh, would be my perspective, but uh, right. Let's see if we can get another slide on. in here. Let's let's, yeah, let's okay. not let Mike rant anymore. Uh, there you go. So I mean, there's a lot to. <laughs> Every, it's so funny, Deanna. One of the things that I find so fun whenever I interview you is just like, thanks, Mike. I'm going to try to bring us back to the real world. Uh, back to the slide. So every pregnant woman who got who got this shot, took this shot, and it was completely untested in pregnant women. The manner. I see how that functions. Okay. So Deanna, can I just do a sum? Can I just summarize that? Like, sure. Sorry, I just, sometimes you say it, and then I just. So weeks before they were declared safe, Pfizer itself reported 
we can't declare it safe because of we don't have enough data. And the reason why we're saying that is because of the data that we have um, out of 270 pregnancies, 28 of those pregnancies ended in neonatal deaths. Not only can they not declare it safe, they're unwilling to declare it dangerous. But as you've mentioned, these are people who were highly motivated to make mm -hmm. sure that these reports get back. This is not a broad study of, of women of what's going on. And so at, at very like they're saying we can't say it's not safe while observing that it is obviously not safe or choosing not to observe. Well, we are not even at part three yet. So everybody tuck in, hold on to your horses. If you want to support our podcasting work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click the, click the analysis box. Donations there are submitted directly to Christian Week in order to help the production of our podcasts. Uh, if you want to help support our legal and advocacy work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click other do designations. Um, I want to make a, a plead here, everybody. Um, we know that finances are tight. We know that um, everybody is feeling the crunch of this inflated market. We really need your support in order to keep going. We've we've got a number of uh, of legal responsibilities. We've got these research responsibilities that we want to fulfill. Please head over and support us. You can find our shows anywhere you get your podcasts on Liberty Dispatch uh, feed, uh, basically on Spotify and, and Apple and all those places where you get your podcasts. And of course, our individual shows air on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network by downloading the Fight, Laugh, Feast app, which is now called Pub TV. Deanna, thank you for coming on. And I think we're just going to continue recording. This but at this point, we're going to say sorry, Nara, to port. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, this is what always happens to us. But now we are moving from part two to three. Folks, there's going to be a break. We continue to uh, cover uh, Israel and Hamas. I'm having a special guest, um, Robert uh, Spencer, on my show next week. And so what Deanna and I are about to talk to will be aired in two weeks. Hold on, because now we're going to be moving into this area of um, caring for newborns and, and breastfeeding. So Deanna, again, thank you for coming on. Everybody, Godspeed.